the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, July the 14th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On July 14, 2004, the U.S. Senate defeated a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage. Forty-eight senators voted to advance the measure. That was 12 short of the 60 that was needed. Fifty voted to block it. Today, in 1798, Congress passed the Sedition Act that made it a federal uh, crime to publish false, scandalous, or malicious writing about the United States government. That's interesting. Today, in 1881, outlaw William H. Bonney Jr., we know him as Billy the Kid, he was shot and killed by Sheriff Pat Garrett in Fort Sumner in present-day New Mexico. Today in 1912, American folk singer, songwriter, Woody Guthrie, you know, he wrote that song, This Land is Your Land. He was born in Okemaw, I think that's how you pronounce that, Oklahoma. Um, That song, This Land is Your Land, little kids are stood up and they sing it all the time in school, or they used to. And um, it's interesting, there's a story behind that. I'm not going to get into that today, but there's quite a story behind that. That song wasn't exactly meant to be a patriotic song. And Woody was not exactly a conservative American flag waver. Anyway, he was born today, 1912, in Oklahoma. Today, in 1933, all German political parties, except the Nazi Party, were outlawed. Today, in 1976, Jimmy Carter won the Democratic presidential nomination at the party's convention in New York. Today in 1980, the Republican National Convention opened in Detroit, where nominee apparent Ronald Reagan told the welcoming rally that he and his supporters were determined to, quote, make America great again. Yeah, that's what he said. Those were his words. And he did. He certainly did. Jimmy Carter was a the prelude to Joe Biden, except Jimmy Carter had a greater presence of mind. He just didn't know how to run the government. He got sidetracked on scheduling who was going to play on the tennis courts. Really, he did at the White House. All of that had to go through him. <laughs> While he was supposed to be running the world from the most powerful, powerful office on the earth, He was doing things like, personally, scheduling who could and couldn't play tennis on the tennis court at the White House, or tennis courts, I don't know. I haven't been invited there, so I don't know how many courts they have, but they have at least one, maybe more. But from Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan, make America great again. Of course, we've heard that in more recent years. Well, that's probably where that came from. 
The U.S. Constitution is overwhelmingly admired by American voters, a new poll shows, but but most Democrats believe our national charter is tainted by racism and sexism. And nearly half, 49% of Democrats believe our Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. So America is saying, yes, we like our Constitution, it's a wonderful thing, we admire it, blah, blah, blah. But 49% of Democrats think it should be mostly or completely rewritten. Rasmussen reports, Heartland Institute study, in-depth study, revealed yesterday that we live in a confused and a conflicted culture. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. We'll come back to that in just a moment. A professor has sued the University of Washington. This is interesting, to me at least. A professor sued the University of Washington after he was punished for offensive opinion on who owns the land where the University of Washington exists. And the University of Washington campus is not a little, you know, two-lot complex somewhere. It's amazing. A professor is suing the University of Washington after administrators punished him for refusing to echo the school's woke leftist claim that the campus sits on occupied land, land that once belonged to the Indians. This is according to the Foundation for Individual Rights, the acronym FIRE. According to this professor, Stuart Regis, or Regis, land acknowledgments are performative acts of conformity that should be resisted even if it lands you in court. And he has paid a price for raising his voice against the notion that the University of Washington is occupying land that should not and does not belong to them or the state or whatever. University of Washington administrators launched an investigation into this professor, Stewart. His name is spelled R-E-G-E-S. I think that's Regis. I'm not sure. And they created a shadow course to shield the students from his opinion after the professor did not parrot the University of Washington's statement acknowledging the university's woke beliefs about the land it sits on. It's amazing. This came out yesterday. It's been in the works for several days, but hit the news. became a national story, actually, yesterday or last yesterday afternoon and last night. But on a list of, of, of syllabus best practices, the University of Washington's Computer Science Department encourages professors to include a statement to acknowledge that our campus sits on occupied land. Uh, it goes on and on. There's a lot there. I'm just going to touch on it. But the university launched an official investigation into this professor for allegedly violating University of Washington's unconstitutionally overboard harassment policy. This investigation is now dragged on for four months behind the scenes. Now it has become public. University administrators turned on me, turned me into a pariah on campus, this professor says, because I included a land acknowledgement in his syllabus uh, that wasn't sufficiently progressive for them. 
He says, land acknowledgments are performative acts of conformity that should be resisted even if it lands you in court. And this fire attorney, this Caitlin Patton, she said that if University of Washington encourages professors to take a political stance on their syllabi, it cannot punish those professors who diverge from the school's pre-approved stance. At University of Washington, she says, the message to the faculty is clear. Tow the party line or say goodbye to your students. That's true. What he's doing there, I'm pretty sure, and I've studied Locke, John Locke. John Locke uh, from England codified uh, the Bible into a lot of, I'm not suggesting this guy's a Christian. I don't, I don't even know him. I, I can't even pronounce his last name correctly. And I didn't want to take the time to look it up. But anyway, um, I think it sounds like he, he, the words he's saying, sounds like he's drawing some of his philosophy on ownership, on land, uh, on property, from John Locke. And John Locke codified biblical truth into civil law. And our founding fathers used a lot of that in in their drafting of our founding documents and other things later on as as the as our government developed and our nation developed. I, I'm pretty sure if you looked into that more deeply, he would be drawing from some of the writings of John Locke because he's saying this professor is saying some of the same things that Locke says in his vast amount of work. I mean, he's written a lot. I haven't read it all, but I've read quite a bit of it and kind of paid attention to what he said back then because it was very insightful. And if you want to be progressive, I guess you could call him progressive, although he was very conservative. But, um, I mean, he made progress and because he was he was basically putting all of his writings, building his writings and his case for certain laws and the way they should work and the way they should be administered and so on. That was based on Scripture. I mean, he said that, and it became the law of the laws of our land here in America. But these people have—I mean, these professors sit there and they get—they get—I mean, they get so full of themselves that they can't see past the glasses on their nose, and they somehow forget how they got to where they are. They become tenured. They become become almost untouchable and then all of a sudden well this all of these perks that i get all of this shouldn't happen but i want to still get them we are living on occupied land we are we've built this campus well i would suggest that if if that's the feeling at the university of washington maybe they should pack it up and move their campus over to roslyn or somewhere and carve out a place over there that wasn't previously indian land or maybe i don't know Maybe Alaska. No, the Inuits. They would be occupying the Inuit. Uh, uh, it, it, this is the most bizarre thing, this land ownership thing. I mean, I don't know. I grew up very close, not on, but very close to the Yakima Indian Reservation. I knew a lot of Indians. They were friends of mine. I mean, not from India, from here. We never, dis- I mean, that wasn't even part of the discussion. And they were pretty open. They talked about a lot of stuff. And I knew these guys. I grew up with them. Went to school with them. That wasn't the issue to them. But today it is, the activists. And they've made a lot of money through their activism. I didn't get the sense 
maybe I missed it. Maybe I was insensitive and not, you know, inclusively inclined. But my friends that were Indians, they were just all kind of, we were all the same. We were running around trading baseball cards and playing baseball and doing whatever we had to do. And I mean, I never got that sense from them. Maybe they were just shy and weren't saying it, but maybe that wasn't part of their discussion in those days either. I don't know. But anyway, this is a movement that, that seemed to be, you know, getting ahead of steam, this giving back the property and all of that. So I don't know, maybe the University of Washington needs to look at moving their campus. It wouldn't be that big a deal, would it? I mean, it's just a little, <laughs> this is crazy stuff. But anyway, that's going on. I wanted you to be aware of that and know what was happening in that regard. I noticed that Bill Gates made a statement today in the news. He likes to be in the news, I've noticed, but it's newsworthy. He announced that he's donating $20 billion more to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation this month. He wants to speed up the pace of his giving so they can speed up the pace of their vision. Their vision is runs contrary to a lot of people who hold conservative views. And so that probably doesn't ring a bell of joy for a lot of us who would like to see the culture go in a different direction. But I wanted to announce this morning that this ministry does not need $20 billion. So I'm glad he gave it to someone else. I'm joking, of course. But we don't. However, we do need <laughs> your support. The left is putting a lot of money into what they believe in right now, more than I've seen ever. Maybe there's more available. I don't know. But, boy, these guys, Gates and Bezos and these guys, I mean, they are putting billions of dollars behind what they believe to be the proper agenda. I would just encourage you to be prayerful about, I understand most of us don't have $20 billion to give, maybe not $20 million or 2000 but I think this is a time when we need to be very reflective. Marjorie and I are. We give a lot, personally. I, I'm just saying we don't have a lot to give, but we give relative to what we have. We give generously, including to this ministry. And I think this is a time, and I don't mean this in a self-serving way. I mean, someone may misunderstand, but if so, you'll get past that. But I don't mean it to be self-serving. I'm very out front with what we need, and I I just say it, and, and God speaks to people's hearts, and here we are today. You know, number of years after we started, we started a day at a time, and then I thought, well, maybe if we can do this another year, we can, you know, make a difference, we can make an impact. And so over the last several years, we've just kept doing it with that kind of a vision, just to be faithful to God without some long-term, you know, plan, uh, basically, other than just day-to-day, as God gives us the opportunity, and as you support this cause and what we're doing, uh, we'll keep talking about what's happening in the culture from a biblical perspective. And you've stood with us, and some of you almost from the beginning, you continue to support us every month. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I mentioned the other day that we have a legal bill 
uh, it wasn't unexpected, and it's a one-time expenditure. It's $8,300, and we need to take care of that. It's on my desk as I speak. If you can help us with that, it will be deeply appreciated, just as every contribution that comes to this ministry is deeply appreciated. I don't have to say a lot of words. I think you understand what I'm saying. You know, and I think that you'll do what God directs you to do. I thank you in advance. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, 98009. Rasmussen reported yesterday in this survey, it really caught my attention, Majorities of every political category, they say, he and Heartland Institute did it together. 89% of Republicans, 74% of Democrats, and 80% of Independents have at least a somewhat favorable opinion of the Constitution, which is under attack now in our culture. You know that. Although more Republicans, 76% than Democrats, 42%, or Independents at 56%, have a very favorable view of the Constitution. Despite their generally favorable opinion of the Constitution, 57% of Democrat voters agree it's a document rooted in racism, and 64% of them think that the Constitution is a sexist document that gives men advantages over women. Nearly half, 49% of Democrats, believe the Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. And therein is the problem that we have today. Some of those who feel that way are sitting on the Supreme Court of the United States. At least three of them, I'm sure. As Americans, we're fortunate to live in a land where the Constitution ensures the government can't infringe upon our most basic liberties. This Chris Talgo, who's the, uh, the senior editor with Heartland Institute, he said the cognitive dissidents among some voter groups in our country after he completed along with Rasmussen this survey he said overwhelmingly they have favorable opinions in general about the constitution while simultaneously believing believe believing it's rooted in racism and sexism the confusion over whether or not our constitution still works for america is striking and i'll tell you why there's confusion over the Constitution. Let's take a look at the survey. Just, there's a lot of information there. In fact, I wrote an article today. It's at faithandfreedom.us. That's our website. And um, I put a link to this so you can read more. There's a lot there, but if you have the time and the interest, I would encourage you to do it. But 60% of likely voters disagree with the statement that the Constitution is a document rooted in racism. 60% of all likely voters. That includes 44% who strongly disagree. 35% agree that the Constitution is rooted in racism, including 15% who strongly agree. 84% of Republicans, 38% of Democrats, and 60% of independent voters disagree with calling the Constitution a racist document. 56% of voters disagree with the statement that the Constitution is a sexist document that gives men advantages over women, including 42% who strongly disagree. 41% agree that the Constitution is sexist, including 17% who, 
who strongly agree. Yet 77% of Republicans, 33% of Democrats, and 59% of independent voters disagree with calling the Constitution a sexist document. Voters under 40, they are far more critical of the Constitution than older voters. We can, I, I believe at a glance, know why they've been indoctrinated in public education generally. For example, only 21% of voters 65 and older of, in age agree that the Constitution is a doc, document rooted in racism. But 49% of voters under 40 agree that the Constitution is racist. A majority, 51% of voters under 40, agree that the Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten, a statement with which 57% of voters 40 to 64 and 68% of those 65 and older strongly disagree. So the older you are, the more you understand the Constitution is one of a kind, divinely inspired, not like the Bible, but I mean, inspiration was given to these guys as they were seeking God in writing our Constitution. Women voters are more critical of the Constitution than men, which surprised me, but it is what it is, especially on the question of whether the document is sexist. 49% of women voters agree. 31% of men voters agree. 63% of black voters at least somewhat agree that the Constitution is a document rooted in racism, a belief that's shared by 28% of whites, 43% of Hispanics, and 36% of other minorities. Black voters, Hispanics, and other minorities are significantly more likely than whites to agree that the Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. Interestingly enough, they also cut a piece of information in this pretty deep study about Joe Biden's strongest supporters and how they vote and how they feel. Here's what they concluded on that particular point. Most of President Joe Biden's strongest supporters are in favor of rewriting the Constitution. Among voters who strongly approve of Biden's job performance as president, 54% at least somewhat agree that the Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. By contrast, among voters who strongly disapprove of Biden's performance, just 10% agree that the Constitution should be rewritten and 81% strongly disagree with rewriting the Constitution. This uh, Don Kendall, he's a research fellow at Heartland uh, Institute. He said this after they had completed the survey. He said, quote, the Constitution has served as the bedrock for liberty in America for more than 20, 230 years. He said to see these poll results where half of Democrats want to see the Constitution mostly or completely rewritten is disheartening. He said, President Calvin Coolidge once said, to live under the American Constitution is the greatest political privilege that is ever accorded to the human race. It's a shame that half of the self-identified Democrats want to throw that privilege away because of their disdain for the current perceived political landscape. I've talked about the birth of our Constitution before, but let me just say this again today. It bears repeating often, actually. America's founders had a providential view of history. They looked at history through 
the Bible through God's word. They did. It's evident. It's very evident if you look at it at all. They believed in the words of Ben Franklin, who was not particularly a spiritual leader. But remember remember when he called the Constitutional Convention to prayer in the summer of 1787? It was hot, it was muggy, and it was very contentious. These guys were yelling at each other. They couldn't get it together. They didn't know what they wanted the Constitution to say and how to say it. It got so bad, some of them walked out. In that midst of that confusion, little Ben Franklin, the oldest guy in the room, he stood up and he said this, quote, that God governs in the affairs of man, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's Psalm 127.1, I think. I, for, I firmly believe this, he said, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building, no better than the builders of Babel. In what was probably one of his last quotable letters, Ben Franklin, he wrote a lot of letters, he told his friend, a French scientist, Jean Bastide Leroy, he probably, he's in history a lot, he wrote a letter to him in November of 1789, and he said this in part, Our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable, but in this world, Nothing is certain except death and taxes. <laughs> John Adams, our second president, also saw, and one of, the, one of our founding fathers, he also saw the vulnerability when he explained this. He said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. God gave birth to America to advance his liberty among the nations. Our founders knew that. Generations that followed our founders understood that. We have abandoned that now. The founders of this exceptional nation acknowledged God's hand. They gave him thanks for growth and success. We've advanced due to his goodness and purposes, not our wisdom and abilities. If we reject him, if we reject God and fail to rely upon him, this great experiment in liberty will indeed become like the ruins of Babel. We should follow the advice of the president of the Continental Congress in his famous declaration. Remember what he said, I'm going to write my name John Hancock. He said, I'm going to write my name great big so the king can see it. I want him to know I'm part of this list. He also said, Hancock, he said, let us humbly commit our righteous cause to the great Lord of the universe. Let us joyfully leave our concerns in the hands of him who raises up and puts down the empires and the kingdoms of the earth as he pleases. In the contemporary English language of today, what he meant to say and did say was that God is in control. I think we must remember that in all of this, this, this battle for the soul of our nation. But I believe God is calling on Christians, on biblical Christians, to take a stand for what is right in regards to our culture to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are called to be salt and light, 
The world is drowning in darkness, and it is in decay. It is rotten in our culture. This is a time to stand. But remember, always remember, that God is in control. Hey, we'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.